Hello, I'm Ben Shaw, and you're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. Well, he made it. Cyril Deramo is now the second person in the world to ever kayak from California to Hawaii. Back in the spring of 2021, I sat down with Cyril as he prepared for the crossing. We had a great conversation sitting outside in Sausalito, a few steps from his kayak. And not long after that, he pushed off, headed for Hawaii. But that attempt only lasted six days. He was overcome by heavy weather and had to abandon ship when he received a helicopter rescue from the Coast Guard. But he was able to retrieve his kayak and he regrouped and set off again a year later. It was rough going, but after 91 days and 2,400 miles, he made it, following in the footsteps of the first person ever to kayak that body of water, Ed Gillette, who did it in 1987. So let's jump right in to this interview. Congratulations, Cyril. Welcome back to the podcast. Thrilled to have you on after you've successfully completed the kayaking trip that we talked about. Gosh, I think we talked about it a couple of years ago on the podcast. So uh, sitting in Salsalito, looking out over the water and congrats. Thank you. <laughs> it's been it's been a journey, a beautiful journey. Sometimes I, I try to pitch myself, did, did I really do this? <laughs> and, and then right now it's been 10 days since, since I'm back on land and I feel like all the days are like smooshed together. It's hard to to um to figure out one day from another but i remember weeks after weeks and and the first week second weeks and and then the half point some points like that so i'm glad to be back with you and two years ago it was still a dream and it was a belief that i could do it and now it's done so i'm really happy well one of the things that i read about is that you said you got a lot of mental space while you were out there and i wanted to ask if you've been able to hold on to that mental space or you, you said the past 10 days have kind of been a blur. Is it all crashed oh, it's gone. back it's into gone. Your, gone. Yeah. It's yeah. Gone. The, I think it's uh, it's very similar that maybe the Buddhist or when you do a retreat with complete confinement, you just don't speak to anybody. And, and I think it's actually not people. It's more the, the tools and the toys that we have, you know, the, mm. the Netflix of at night and, and the social media, I know the phone and the emails constant and, like from one day to another, I had to get rid of that. And there was no way for me to even access it. So you have that space in the mind. And I think it's decluttering where, well, it didn't, it didn't happen the first two weeks where I was really focused on getting off the coast and, you know, paddling hard and kind of deal with my seasickness and uh, the sleep deprivation and, and it being a new environment. But I think this really happened like third or fourth week, it started to to open and and say, okay, now I'm, I'm I'm into the routine, you know, getting into my new environment, and then that's when I kind of start to, you know, think more uh, philosophically, or start to uh, see my place in the world, and kind of start to write about it. It took some time to 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 get there, huh? Oh yeah, and then and now I guess, you know, as, as soon as I landed, one part of it is is my my will to come back to it because obviously, you know, I. If I want to be an adventurer and, and have this lifestyle, you know, I need to have, um, uh, you know, ride the wave of, of the, what I just did and kind of have, you know, social media and back on it. And 
um, the press and the media and have, well, the, use the repercussion of, of what I just did, but in a good way. It, it was fantastic to see how everybody responded to me being honest on my blog post and how it, it actually transcended just the kayakers or just the adventure racers and, and kind of anybody could find themselves in, in the struggles and, 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 you know, the mental side of it um, and the beauty of the environment and wilderness. And you, you look at the people who started to follow me, it's, it's, it's a wilder way of people of different ages. And, and I think that was wonderful. It was great being able to follow along with you and get reports from you and get your thoughts. And um, did you have feedback the other direction? What was your relationship yeah, so, with everybody on land? <laughs> so I have to say kudos to my girlfriend because she's she's the instrument who's done all that all. Because remember last year I did the first attempt and it took six days and then now got rescued. And and back then I was so available for the press and the media. There were like three TVs when I took off from San Francisco, the Golden Gate, and 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 then after the when I came back rescued, it was like big. And I said, okay, for my next attempt, I'm going to be super quiet. I don't want any press. I don't want anything. I need to deliver before I can talk about anything. And after three weeks, you know, I was pretty much silent at the beginning. It was really focused on, on getting off the coast and, you know, paddling 12 hours a day and really being exhausted. And she gave me space. But then after she started to pull things out of me, like, hey, what, what does it mean to be an adventurer? What does adventure mean to you, you know? It take two three days, but writers are post about that, and and another you know would come and more philosophically about love, about brotherhood, and 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 then she's the one who created the routine of sending information every day about okay, what did you feel yesterday? How did you, you know, how about the wind condition? And, and do you read start to read the water? Tell me about this. And she created that, that connection with everybody. I, I, it was not my first intent to do that, so I could not read them, but she would say, look. Like the reaction of people are just amazing. Like, for example, this woman, you know, she has to do a kidney transplant. And she says that you give her the courage to do it because you push your own limits. Or that kid, Logan, he's 10 years old and he's texting us that he says he's reading every day. And that just gives me, you know, more willpower to when I'm tired at the end of the day to write another blog and then and send it. So she would give me more or less a general feeling about the response. And sometimes here and there, like the significant ones. That's fantastic. Now, you mentioned that there was a demarcation point. The first couple of weeks, I think it was, you had a real struggle. Um, talk a little bit about that. What were your fears? Um, you were really trying to get away from the coast and you were being thwarted by the currents and the wind. Yeah, so there's... Well, it's known that getting off the coast is hard because the, the current and, and the wind is pushing you south, right? So if you don't do anything, you end up in Mexico. Now, there, there's a mental struggle, too, is that I had this um, past experience of uh, being rescued after six days. So my right. first push was really to pass the six-day mark. And, and I had you know, the chance to have really good weather for five days. It was actually flat. The wind was not in the right direction, but if it's flat, I can still push through it so my first goal was to pass the six days and and the first week and the first week was trying to get as much i was doing 12 hours a day you know i was really motivated to show what i could do and 
and prove myself that I was fit enough and that I could could do it. So the second week was really hard because I got suddenly just exhausted. Um, you know, I got seasick, um, so I, I eat not as much as I'm supposed to. I tried to get uh, the water down so I stay hydrated. But then there's sleep deprivation that is hard as well because there's a stress of departure um, in general. Just leave, you know, because here's the thing: the excitement builds up, builds up, builds up until you go. But it's tiring, you know, that you don't really sleep well the first, the last three weeks before you go. You're always thinking, did I forget this? Did I do that? Did I? So there's stress until the moment you, you know, let go of the the pier, and that, that actually is actually a relief. But compared to last year, where I thought I had success in being on the starting line, I didn't allow myself to feel any success. I say, this is only the starting point um, and then stay focused. And so, yeah, the, the first two weeks, second week, feeling exhausted, like I would go in the cabin and pass it. Like I couldn't do anything, just close my eyes um, and, and, and change things. Like I would think, okay, my body is not really reacting really well to the fact that I'm eating all day long, little bits and pieces. And um, I don't have three meals yet. So my body's like, okay, should I send the energy to digestion or to the lower body because you're paddling or the upper body because you're paddling and all this switching is, is weird. And then, you know, you're, so I needed to give my, my time, uh, my body some rest. So I, I took it easy sometimes and, you know, finished paddling at five o'clock because I felt like I needed to. Um, and try to get some good night's sleep. Did you have confidence that your body would come to an equilibrium and, and then you would- Yes. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. I knew that um, from conversation with uh, Scott Donaldson, uh, who pretty much said, you know, anybody that has to battle 12 hours a day will do it eventually. But the better you're training, the faster you'll get used to that rhythm. Ah. So I was really well-trained. I did never did like those 10 to 12 hour days. Um, but I did, you know, four, four hour days and pretty much every day and, you know, different kinds of training. So I knew I was going to get there. I just had to be patient. And, you know, it, it's when you're suffering like this, you can't sleep. You're, you're like just tired. You have to get up in the morning. You have to go and, and you don't feel like your back is aching everywhere. Just go through it easy. Just, you know, it's going to be a very long journey. It's, it's, I thought it was going to be 70 days, but <laughs> it took you three weeks longer. Uh, so. And, and I had the same attitude at the end, actually. I will, I will put that right now where the last 10 days, the water were more favorable. The currents and the wind finally were in the right direction. And I could have done an hour or two more. Um, instead of 10 routinely hours, I could do 12 or 14. But, you know, with my length support day, we said, okay, well, if you do an hour more, you're going to gain two and a half nautical miles. So that means you're really just going to shave one day after 10 days of that. If you do two hours, you're going to shave, you know, uh, add another 10 and five miles and you're going to add one more day, five days. That's really not worth the probability of you getting injured or getting exhausted or, you know, you have a pace if you've had for 10 weeks. Let's just keep it. You know, I'll get there when I get there. It's not a race. It's all about the adventure. And yeah. And, yeah. How much was I know you could you both paddled and you pedaled with your feet. How, what was the division there? Uh, it's, it's, it was really different. Um, it, depending, uh, first of all, on, on how I felt physically, like if I, if I had aches on the upper body, I would pedal more. 
uh, or vice versa. Uh, sometimes, you know, my my tendons on the feet would start to ache, and then I need that, those to steer. So I would then yeah. paddle more. But also, it depends on, um, I would say, where I was. So the first three weeks uh, off the coast of California, it was mostly side uh, conditions. Like I had to go west when the wind was mostly northerly. northerly. So in those conditions, my boat, which is not a rowing boat, it's a kayak, is rolling and rocking a lot. And it's really hard to have a good stroke as a paddler. So um, maybe, you know, pedaling would be better. But then one day would be super flat. Whoa, I'd relief, you know, by just paddling all day. It's nice to have that option. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, and same, like on the downwind the last months, it was so much better to paddle because I had the, you know, I could steer really easily. And the paddling, I could feel the water better. And, you know, I just paddle and stop and then feel the glide. When if I was paddling, somehow, you know, on flat water, the paddling worked really well. I was faster than paddling. But when there's wave pushing you and the waves are really strong, somehow I don't get the momentum and it just didn't work. So in the end, I would give you the answer of like 50-50. Okay. Um, and that's what it was pretty much at, at the last, last uh, months where I would start half an hour pedaling because I can eat while I pedal. So I would be uh -huh. moving. Yeah. I can use my hands. And then I would do two hours of paddling because the wind would be behind me. Sorry, the sun would be raising behind me. And it takes more energy to paddle. And then after I would finish with two hours before my nap, and I would take a nap from 12 to one uh, consistently. I tried to skip it to have more mileage, but then I would pay it off. Like the day would feel so much longer. Mentally, it was harder. So even if it's just a 40 minute nap, it was worth it. And then I would, again, once I'm back, half an hour of pedaling and I would eat. And, uh, and then after two hours of paddling and then two hours of pedaling to the end. Um, that was kind of my, my routine. Yeah. So how many hours of sleep per night? Uh, quite a bit because it was getting dark at 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. So at 5.30, I would stop my routine. Um, you know, there's a second half I had to make my own water because my water, water broke. And it would take me 45 minutes in the morning before paddling and an hour 45, an hour 50 at night. And especially as I get to, towards Hawaii, I would drink a gallon of water. So it would take me longer. And I really didn't want to use my pedaling time to make water. So I would add it before I get into the cabin. Okay. Um, and then I still had the routine. So 6, 6 30, 7 o'clock, I would be done getting to the cabin. And then I have a routine of, uh, hygiene is first thing get naked you know, you know baby um, wipes all over the body to remove the salt and treat my little cuts and wounds um, you know put apply stuff and and then I would lay down eat I would eat all the time pretty much and but then I would you know take the time to uh, to rest 15 minutes write a blog or some notes at some bullet points sometimes when I was feeling tired uh, if, if the water was rough, I would just skip it and say, look, Ashley, I, I can't send you anything. And, you know, I'll, I'll send it to you tomorrow. Um, and then go to bed. You know, basically it was dark. It's eight. So um, from 8 p.m. until sunrise, which usually was six o'clock, I would uh, be in a sleeping position, which is on my back. I was not sleeping. Um, first months, I had to be really careful of you know, container ships. Um Okay. My, my RTE, which is a radar transmission enhancer, failed pretty fast. So I knew I didn't have really a, a good um, eco on, on the container ship's radar. My EIS worked all the way really well. That's um, 
So yeah, that was that was reassuring. But I had some uh, issues with batteries at some point. So I, you know, um, I was always a little bit nervous. Um, and somehow I, I kept on the having the, the the habit of waking up every one to two hours just to look at the GPS, a plotter, everything's good. Okay, back for an hour or two. Hmm. Interesting. So you mentioned the water maker gear failure, and you had to pump by hand for for the last what, third of the trip. How long was that? Oh, half half of the trip. Half you the trip. Okay. 46, day forty six. Were there other gear failures? Yeah. So very early, I had a, a flooded cabin a compartment. Um, one in the very back. There's the steering lines that go through this compartment, and and there was just big waves and. Somehow, by pulling harder on the on the string, you know their Dyneema lines. Um, I guess the the glue, um, which is uh, I forgot the name of it, but you know it didn't really work, and I had leakage there. So comp- everything flooded, and, and then it started to come in the cabin. That was a source of stress. Uh, but I fixed it by creating a drain just under the the hatch. I, I just I used one of those. You know the the applesauce that you you drink, like uh-huh. the, you drink? the little pouches. Exactly. So you know you can fill, close them back. So I cut that and I glued it under the level of the hatch because I knew the water was up to the hatch level. I tried to open it and it would start to pour in my cabin. So I closed it. I glued it um, with uh, I think it's uh, twenty two hundred whatever that that glue is like you know the ceiling mm, glue. Four, and I did it. Three M forty two hundred or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I, I glued it, glued it, make sure it was good. And then after I drilled it through it, and I let the water soak out, and and took me like maybe four or five gallons out of the compartment, and I would close it back. So it's a little my Giver action on that one, but it took me quite a bit because I had, it's funny, I had two environments. The first one would be on the cockpit, mm-hmm. and once I'm out, I don't care what happens. I'm attached. You know, and and it if a wave comes and floods me, or even if I were to capsize, I never capsize. But if I were to go on the side and then a wave flood me, okay, I'm fine, and the cab the, the cabin is fine because it's all waterproof. And the other environment is inside the, the the cabin. It's all dry. I'm trying not to keep bring any water. Obviously, the sleeping bag was wet pretty fast, but um, having water come into that environment was the source of stress. Woke up at two o'clock in the morning. And my feet were wet. What's going on? This is more than just, you know, the, the breathing that brings some humidity in the cabin. And the leak, you know, that, that hatch was not waterproof. And so I patched it. And I, I, I couldn't deal with it right away. I had to give it a few more days until, you know, Dave said, oh, yeah, ready. You know, there's calm days coming. It was a very, very back of my cabin, like it's tiny, tiny little little space. And you get there, you're sweaty. And I couldn't deal with it first. But Finally, I did it because I had my spare water maker in there. I had bladders that I would have to fill up uh, as I get closer to Hawaii to replace the weight of the uh, food for ballast. So I needed to open eventually. Oh. Um, other issues I had, well, that, that those lines, the dynamite lines started to get really stiff and I couldn't really figure out why. And it looks like um, they were into an inner nylon tube throughout the cabin and the tube kind of, uh, you know, wasn't straight anymore. And it did some wave, and that created fr- friction. I couldn't really those fix- steering lines. Yeah, I have four steering lines because I got two for the feet and two for the hands, uh-huh. and they were depending on each other. So one friction to one line would create a friction the other way on another one. Uh-huh. Then I had issue with um, 
well, the water maker worked fine. And then he started to make noise and a different noise every time. And then, you know, and eventually it just died. Um, the, the batteries had issues because uh, the first three weeks I didn't have much sun. It was mostly cloudy most of the day and fog, foggy and cold and wet. So um, I needed to use it for the water maker. And, and uh, even if you use it during, you know, midday, there's not much going on. So um, I was glad to have two lithium ion batteries. I could use one after the other and then you synchronize them together so they balance each other. Yeah. But one night I woke up, it was completely dark. And I said, what's going on? I got freaked out because <laughs> I wanted to make sure like my phone that I use for texting the Garmin and my Garmin was full. And I, I text my lens support, okay, I'm in the dark. Okay, well, we'll see that the batteries can charge again. But yeah, they had um, gone under 80%. And I thought I could go all the way to 60%, but under 80% it's died. And that means my plotter, and I don't see where I am. My AIS dies. And I don't see, the container ship don't see me. So it's a source of stress. Like, what do I do? Do I go on the deck and look around? I have no lights. So what do I do? I get a flare ready. It's it's a source of stress, you know? But eventually I say, okay, well, I haven't seen any container ship in a week. I think I'll be fine. I just trust, you know? And in the morning, get up early and look if the weather is going to be good. Like, are those batteries coming up? I'm not going to use Watermaker for the next two days. Things like that, you know? Yeah. Now, did you find yourself having to conserve power or did you have sun for the from then on and it was... Yeah, you know, the sun came back on. Um, I had... Um, um to be careful just uh you know yeah like i wanted to go to bed with all my i only had six liters of water which was a day and a half of water and sometimes you know i didn't have time to do it at midday because a reason or another and then before bed i would use it and now it's like okay i'm not like power is is gold and i i turn off the lights the outside lights all around lights if i thought you know it was safe um and then I guess once the water maker broke, that saved you some power. Oh, it was perfect. Yeah, it was not the pump. Oh, it was the opposite. It was too hot. I was cooking in there. <laughs> so, what about the most important machine? You did you you talked you talked before a little bit about the repetitive movement. You know your tendons hurting. Where did you have any injuries that you were worried about? Any repetitive stress? No, I was. Wow. Uh, it was amazing. I think my training was really good. Uh, never had any cramp. And um, I think it's also due to the, the supplements I was taking and it was standard process. We did some high, high tests, like one day, full day um, on, on, on their lab, lab and the human performance lab. And they identified that I was normally low in vitamin D. So I had vitamin D to add. And then, you know, I had some turmeric and then had a lot of um, supplements for um, cognitive uh, awareness. In fact, it was amazing because my first crossing on our ocean row, we were four and a simple calculation, a subtraction was hard to do. 3.3 minus 2.7, okay, 3.3 minus, couldn't do it. Now I was, I felt so sharp and that, you know, I wrote the blog, I, I think about it all day and then I get in the cabin and it's peel out of my brain, just like perfect. So there's that. And then, you know, turmeric for anti-inflammation and all these natural products that were really good. So kudos to them. But um, I think it's also, you know, I used all the right electrolytes and make sure I was really well hydrated. Um, yeah. I had training on, on that schedule, which was 
my heart rate 140 beat per minute but long hours uh, and cross disciplines so i was cycling paddling um did some yoga running and you know all that well i know you mentioned before we started talking that you're going soon across the country to do some tests with your sponsor about bone density and yes your body has changed that'll be very interesting to to find out well i lost 20 pounds and i think most of it is is fat and i lost uh, quite a bit of muscle um the body's funny that way like if you don't use a muscle but you use another muscle a lot it's going to send all the energy to that one and lead the other one so well that la- i well, wanted to ask you about that because i watched the video of you coming ashore in hawaii what were those first steps like you hadn't done a whole lot of walking <laughs> in 91 days yeah so i felt strong i felt um i had a bit of unbalanced because of the sea legs um but i, I felt strong generally in my legs uh, what i could see is the walking um was was an issue like i would walk 10 10 minutes and then then i would feel pain in my knees and the hips and mm-hmm. my feet uh because i was just not walking you know all the balance uh, stabilizers um but now it's all good i did a you know a hike like the two days ago with, with ashley and we were for an hour no problem so uh, i still need to gain a lot of muscles back because part of those 20 muscles were 20 pounds were also muscles uh but you know the, the doctor on my team said you know it's the fibers are all there you, you were depleted but if you eat properly and then you slowly start to um, you know, lift weight a little bit, then they're all going to come back. So uh, that's reassuring. But it's going to take me, I think, probably five to six months um, because I'm 46 to gain all I am back. But my sponsor, Standard Process, so we did this intense um, uh, strength, like strength test and VO2 max and lactic acid and 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 body fat and, and the bone density. So we're going to do that again next week only 10 days after I finished to see what I've lost. And it's going to be super interesting to see what a 90 day adventure like this, uh, even eating 4,000 calories a day, you know, eating properly and, and resting properly would do and see how fast I can get it back. That's, yeah. that's really so interesting. Do you think that that weight loss, I know you had to ration your, your food towards the end because you had planned on 70 days and it took 90 days. Um, how many calories were you down to at the end per day? Oh, it was not bad because I went down from 4,000 calories. I started rationing halfway point and I would save 1,200 calories. So a third of my calories I would save per day. That would extend. Um, so here's the thing. So I had planned for 70 days, but I had 80 days of food. Okay. Halfway point was 50 days. So I had 30 days of food left. By saving a third of each day, I would essentially, you know, use two thirds uh, of a day to make one day so that I would extend 15 days. All right. So um, and then we took the decision to change destination because uh, that would lead me to like 95 days. And we would be a little bit short if we were to go to Honolulu. Yeah. So we could save five days by ending up in Hilo. So it was a very decision, you know, Dave said, okay, this is it. You could go to Maui, which would be safe three days. You could go to, to Hilo and, uh, you know, five days and say, okay, let's go. You know, it's fine. I've done quite a bit enough. (laughs) (laughs) You were ready, huh? Well, this was a solo trip and you were out there on your own, but I understand that at times you weren't on your own because you had somebody who you were imagining paddling beside you 
Ed Gillette, the, the person who, the first person to kayak from California to Hawaii. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, you know, I read the book like many others and I was, I was fascinated by how we could, could have done it with his boat uh, so close to the water, not protection at night, you know, and, and I think it was a week third or whatever. I, I was kind of thinking like in really big conditions, I felt safe in my boat. And my boat would track down down the wave really well. Like I could surf. And I was like imagining him with this tiny little boat. And, Ed, are you doing okay? And he said, yeah, I did it before. It's your turn now. He was kind of watching over me. And, and we had a great, you know, I posted about this, how amazing I felt. Like, how could he have done that? Like this guy's story, like a legend. And he responded to that post by saying, you know, you're doing great. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but yeah, it felt he said, I've, I've had those kind of ghost uh, stories myself. How are you imagining people? Uh, it was not an hallucination at all. It was just like trying to think what it, what it would be if you were right here next to yeah. me. Yeah. And um, did you get that message from him when you were out there? Oh, yeah. Ashley sent it to me. She knew that he was very important. We had been in touch uh, for the past three years before I left. And uh, that meant a lot for me to know that he was following the journey. That's wonderful. Have you had a chance to talk to him having completed the journey? No, uh, we didn't talk, but we've, we've exchanged some, some uh, messages. He said he really enjoyed um, my sharing personally, you know, intimately about what I felt. And I, I think it's maybe, you know, I, he didn't tell me, but we totally, him and I have different personalities. And I think he, yeah. his journey was so personal. And I think he went so much further closer to death or to survival than me that he, for many, many years, he couldn't share because it was so personal and i think he enjoyed the fact that i could um uh, in a more modern boat um you know be in such condition that i could share with so many people but uh yeah he's he he's on his way back to you know his boat and back down to um, baja and then panama so i won't see him in a while but uh we're definitely you know um connected by brotherhood and you enjoy the sharing aspect no i I mean i'd imagine there are some people who would want to to this to be something personal but for i i the sense i get from from you is you really savor inspiring others with with this and and i think it was my coping mechanism to tell you the truth i'm actually figuring out as i'm speaking to you um i was uh really not sure how I would behave in, in being alone or in loneliness. Yeah. I never felt lonely, but I'm such an extrovert that um, maybe it was a coping mechanism to say, you know, it's actually, I'm still in contact. And I think one of the deepest um, posts was the one about love. And it started by that feeling um, um, how I missed people. I missed my friends and how you know how I wanted them near me and how I needed their love and, and then you go into the reflection and why why do I need the love we are, everybody needs love that's what we do our parents give us that when we we're kids and I, I was so lucky to have so much love when I was a kid so I can give it away and hence my maybe my extrovert enthusiast and can go away but others can do that and well in the end you know we're not made of anything we eat or or like our career or it's it's only love like people want to know if they're loved that's and I created this post and, and it was very philosophical. I sent it to Ashley and she said, oh, well, you're going deep on that one. 
And she said, okay, I'm just going to post it and see what it does. <laughs> and from then on, I said, you know what? I'm just going to pull my heart out. Like, I don't care. Like, if people think I'm too much, maybe too close to John Lennon, imagine the song, you know, like, you know, no religion, no borders. We're all, so be it. And actually, that's that was a spiritual journey I was in. Like, those truths came to me by, by that trip. That's fascinating. Wow. That's wonderful. So it was as much a spiritual journey as a physical journey, it sounds like. Yes. And, and I think it's, all, it's also in contrast with the first crossing that I've done. Uh, the other one, you know, we were a team of four international rowers. Um, there was Carlo from the U.S., Fian from I I Iceland, and Thiago from Brazil and I. And we, we always wanted to beat the record. It was, yeah. you know, the record was 43 days. We had to beat We had to get the Guinness. We were pushing hard, like two hours on, two hours off. It was, and this one was different. I wanted adventure. I wanted to connect with the, the birds and the ocean and the clouds and the fish. I wanted to understand. And it was like, I'll get there when I get there. No rush. You know, I've got the food. Um, it was really more the adventure trip. And I enjoyed it like a thousand times more. Although it's funny that I'm really competitive. And I was I just going to ask, are you like, whatever you do next, whatever that is, it'll be interesting if you want to do something and be the first or be competitive, or if you <laughs> want to go out there and have another adventure for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, my heart is going to tell me like, this is what I really want to do. Um, I'm going to try not to do something big because people expect me to be bigger than that. No, I'm going to do what I want to do. And then I don't think it's going to be competitive. I don't, I don't really care anymore. I think success is not going to be first or bigger, faster, longer, further than anybody else. I think it's going to be my own journey. And I, and I actually said it in this crossing too. People say, well, Ed, you did, you did it before. Okay, so what? I still want to do it. Like It's not because a sailor has sailed to Hawaii that another sailor can't do it. Like leaving it for myself, feeling it myself, this is success. So yeah. I'll, I'll stand by that. That's great. What else would you like people to know about it that we haven't talked about? Well, I don't know. I think, you know, I've, I was um, I was not surprised that I had done it, but um, I feel I think it's other people's uh, vision of me, like because I'm, I'm this enthusiastic, happy going, but I'm not this big adventurer that would do that. And I think people knew that I was going to try, and that I think they were surprised. Like he actually is doing it. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> what I really want is is to stay the same guy, you know, as before. And you know, I'll go paddle at my morning paddle with everybody. And have um, you been out on the water paddling on the bay since you've been back? No, I'm I'm going tomorrow morning see all my my friends and going back. And next week there's a race I'm going to do. Uh, it's uh, the Sea Track Regatta, so I'm. I'm I'm not going to be competitive because those three months, you know, my heart rate was never higher than 85 or 90 when I was paddling. So my lung capacity is probably much lower. And my, <laughs> so I'm trained, but not for a two hour sprint. Yeah. But I'm right. Different kind of That's great. Well, enjoy your paddle tomorrow. And I have a final question for you, which is mm -hmm. I know music was really important to you on mm -hmm. this passage. Um, is there a particular song that we can play at the end of this podcast that you think oh, of, yes. you think of this? Oh, yes. There's one song. It's called Coup de Tête and the group, it's, it's Bon Entendeur. It's funny, you know, I, I had this um, 
app that randomly chooses a song and this song would come out like, almost every day and, it, and it's a song that is like has a really good beat but no words but a little bit of whistling it became the song of the trip i had many times the idea of when i get to shore i'll put it and i'll turn it on and i'll let everybody out and once i'm ready i'll step out of the boat on the when the song goes up and it didn't go as planned because everybody was like, trying to hug me. My dad was here, my mom was Ashley, they was here. So, <laughs> but it's, it's a cool song, I love it now. I just want to congratulate you again and say, I can't wait to see you in person and shake your hand. And thanks for joining us again. Thank you, my pleasure. And we'll see you on the water for sure. That was Cyril Deramo after his successful row from California to Hawaii. And as always, I'm Ben Shaw, your host and producer of the show. Thanks for listening. You can reach me on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing, or if you prefer email, at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. Until next time, smooth sailing, or in this case, smooth paddling.